My friends, I'm not given to wild, unsupported statements. And I tell you that we must evacuate this planet immediately. Jor-El, be reasonable. Once there was a civilization, much like ours, but with a greater intelligence, greater powers, and a greater capacity for good. moment that world was destroyed but there was one survivor now wouldn't that beat all get out because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness he set us his only son. His name is Kal-El. He will call himself Clark Kent. But the world will know him as Superman. This year, Superman brings you the gift of flight. Superman, the movie. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the IPC podcast, also known as the Intergalactic Peace Coalition. And we are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, but also coming to you through the power of iTunes and Google Play and StarWarsUnderworld.com. We have an exciting episode for you guys tonight, and a magnificent episode, a super episode. It's going to be a great one. We are going to be discussing the 1978 classic Superman, sometimes called the movie, the original first ever, I think it's the first ever, Superman film. And yes, you may be thinking, why are you doing this? This seems random. Yeah, exactly. It's just something that we haven't seen, or at least I have not seen before in full. And we decided, hey, we'll talk about it, we'll watch it, and we're going to be talking about some other Superman films in the near future. But before we do that, before we discuss this film tonight... 
Introductions are in order if you are new to the program or forgotten who we are. My name is Ben, and joining me, as he always does, it is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. What's going on with you, Zach? Is, is it a super night for you? Dude, it is a super night. It's it's just been a super couple of days, if I'm being totally honest. Um, I've gotten all of my uh, packages that I've ordered on Amazon, finally. Some got delayed nice. in transit. Uh, work has been going rather well. Uh, I'm making arrangements to fix up my house a little bit and, and do a little remodeling. And uh, it should be really fun doing that and moving in some new furniture and... Uh, you know, it, it's just been a really super week, if I'm being honest. Like, things have been going rather well. Uh, it, it's a bummer that I have to work on the weekend starting tomorrow, but I'm going to try and not let that get me down. And uh, just going to try and keep that super momentum with tonight's uh, discussion topic. I had a pretty fun time watching it um, on uh, Amazon. Thankfully, they had it because the place that I went to to try and find it, unfortunately, it got uh, taken down. And so um, Amazon to the rescue, <laughs> much like Superman was throughout the entirety of this movie, which uh, we'll get to that along with some other really awesome things. But uh, it should be a pretty fun night. I'm looking forward to it. It will indeed, as you said. You know, and this is this is my first time. Is this your first time watching it all the way through? All the way through, yes. I've seen certain scenes before, and obviously there's that gif of this era Superman right. flying, and you can see like the the point flying over his head, like that's <laughs> that's a classic. <laughs> that, that's just such a classic, and it, it's it's funny how a movie from 1978 is still relevant and still alive in the year 2020 in the form of a GIF meme on social media. Yeah, keeping keeping alive with the memes. The it, memes, it, I tell you. It, it's crazy the way that that works, but it does. And uh, I'm just I'm just glad that that it has that kind of of mm, I don't want to call it relevancy, but longevity is probably the best word right. for it. Like, obviously, it doesn't have the, the, the graphics or the CGI of something like Man of Steel, but the things that they did have, they really, I feel like they really made the most of, and that's part of what made for such an enjoyable film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I said, this is my first time watching this all the way through. I'd seen bits and pieces of it, obviously, and I feel like this movie, thanks to just pop culture and yes also a few memes here and there you can kind of put the pieces together as to what the plot's going to be you know ahead of time and I certainly did but like it's still some few surprises in there and overall an enjoyable time and we'll, we'll get into that in just a bit but there's something we need to talk about something that yeah. just came up a couple days ago and yeah. it is a huge part of this podcast it's a huge mm. part of our friendship one of the main reasons we even know each other in the first place. That's true. This is and very true. And so we all know Star Wars The Clone Wars was a show back in 2008 to 2014, and it unfortunately got canceled, and we were all pissed. And then Disney was like, hey, we'll give you another season if you if you want us back. And then they, and then they did it. So season seven 
is upon us. They announced it like two years ago, and it's finally here, coming to Disney+. And we got a new trailer. We got the big official full trailer for season seven, and it is amazing. Soon the galaxy will be remade. The Jedi and the Republic will die. I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. Great care we must take. Why would anyone walk away from being a Jedi? We were trained to be keepers of the peace. Not soldiers. We clowns have mixed feelings about the war. Without it, we wouldn't exist. All part of the plan. The plan. Everything is about to change. talked a lot about it. If you want to hear more of my extended thoughts, of course, check out the latest Star Wars Underworld podcast. We did a huge hour-long breakdown of it, but uh, long and short of it, I loved it. Zach, what did you think? Eh. Really? Nah, I'm just screwing with you. (laughs) You sold that. You sold that. I'm like, wow, he's really... (laughs) No, dude, I loved it. I loved every minute of it, and it was two minutes long, so I loved it twice over. It was just, it was so much nostalgia, but also so much development. You could see some of the the, the classic style, like the animation style that they use, but with some modern twists on it. You can tell that they are taking some of those unfinished story arcs, and they're going ahead and finishing them up and telling them potentially in a different way. I'm super excited about the Bad Batch arc, Mm -hmm. mostly because the last remaining member of the Domino Squad is supposed to be in it. So, you know, uh, Echo is um, still alive, which I'm excited for. And I just realized I said that name that activates my Amazon Alexa, and I'm surprised it hasn't talked to me yet. (laughs) But... But I'm just I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the Siege of Mandalore. I'm excited to uh, revisit Ahsoka's story, kind of fill in the gaps from when she she left at the end of the Clone Wars to uh, what we see from her in Rebels. There are so many screen grabs that you have shared on the Star Wars Underworld Facebook and Twitter pages that have just been mind blowing. You know, to 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 
look at those things and analyze them in a way that we usually analyze the screen grabs from like a movie trailer. We're sitting here doing that for a TV show. And I think that's one of my favorite things about it is that the, the stuff that people really, really loved and clung to uh, over, over 10 years ago is back. And it's, it's back with a force. It's back with a vengeance. But apparently it's only back for one season. And that is the one thing that I'm bummed about is that they're labeling this as the official final season. Like every story that they want to tell is going to be wrapped up in this season of episodes. And I really wish that they would have left the door open a little bit more to be able to say, who knows if this is really popular, we'll do some more of it. But apparently these are the stories that they want to tell and then they're going to be done. And that's it. Disappointing, but also curious because as you've noted, there are certain sequences that the lines are almost identical to certain sequences that we see in revenge of the Sith. So now there's the possibility that some of this arc that we're getting is going to be part of, or like in unison with revenge of the Sith and potentially exploring order 66 from Ahsoka's point of view or something like that during the siege of Mandalore. There's a lot of stuff. There's still a lot of stuff left to look at, and that, that, that this teaser slash trailer did a, a fantastic job of getting us excited for it, but not telling the whole story so that we anticipate its return all the more. Yeah, and, and as you said, like, you know, and you can check out some of this on, on Star Wars Underworld Facebook page and Twitter, um, because I kind of posted... My whole break. I I used to do like a you know kind of like a screenshot like gallery on the page, but then I got like I'm just gonna post like specific screenshots and like point things out because that's more fun, and that's been a lot of fun. And as you as you mentioned, like one of the things is, um, the fact that you have the scene in Revenge of the Sith where Mace Windu says, "I send a plot to destroy the Jedi," and then you hear later Yoda say, "Um, great Carrie must take those two lines." are in this trailer, and at first, I'm the idiot that was going like, why would Mice Windu say that twice? Like, why would he say that, you know, why is he seeing in the Clone Wars thing and Revenge of the Oh, I get it. It's because that we're seeing that exact scene in the Clone Wars from a different point of view, um, because Mace is actually in hologram form. So it's assumed that we're going to see that from kind of a different character's point of view, you know, maybe somewhere else other than Coruscant and of course that's right before everything goes down on Revenge of Sith so that's going to be kind of our cue when we're watching these episodes to go oh Sith's about to hit the fan mm-hmm mm-hmm just about and I, I think that's probably one of the more intriguing elements of this trailer is the notion that we're going to get some things that really haven't been touched on in a decade and a half. Like there, there were, there were some elements of order 66 that were alluded to in the lost missions, but this could potentially show us some of those things outright. And then the, the uh, cameo of Depa Bilaba with one young Caleb doom was also, 
pretty subtle but also pretty sweet the 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 crossover continues there and it honestly kind of makes me wonder if like part of the cascading events that they end up showing in the show is a a order 66 sequence from the pov of depa Bilaba and caleb doom maybe I mean, it would be interesting. I think we'll at least see them, and they'll be kind of present. Um, there, what happened to Kanan kind of got covered in a comic, but mm. in the uh, who uh, reads comics? <laughs> a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, so Still not enough. Put it in the show so everybody can see it. That's the thing. It's like I'm always like I love it that they do like important things in comics and books, but like when it comes down to it put it on screen and so that would be interesting to see that um or just anyone else like they have opportunity to really again change our perspective on revenge of the sith because you know the clone wars changes so much about the prequel trilogy and how we look at it and especially Revenge of the Sith in regards to the clones. And, you know, we used to think that, oh, yeah, the clones are just, you know, they were lying in wait the entire time, and they were biding their time to take out the Jedi, and they were in on it. And no, 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 they had a chip in their head, and, you know, makes it all the more tragic that, you know, they would turn, they were forced to turn on the Jedi that they really considered friends and were allies with. So... That is already there, and then you have on top of that, we're literally going into Revenge of the Sith. We're going to be having this show take place concurrently with that film and possibly go even through and beyond it and see you know, what happens to certain characters that we don't know, as in Ahsoka and Rex. And there's some, some big moments in this trailer that seem to uh, ins- infer that we're going to get their reaction to Order 66 and, you know, maybe Rex took his chip out in as he did in Rebels, or maybe he hasn't. Maybe he has to, maybe he enacts Order 66 and he has to fight it. There's there's a lot that's still open to interpretation, that's for sure. Like, it, that, 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 again, that's the beauty of of a, of a video like this is it teases enough like Darth Maul rebuilding his lightsaber. Right. It teases enough like seeing uh, Ahsoka's battalion with their Togruta helmets like that. That one little snippet there almost made me tear up. It's for one amazing. thing, for one thing, I just love blue and orange color schemes because that was my school colors. And so now seeing them on clones, it's like a blending of all my favorite worlds. It's like my favorite color scheme, one of my favorite TV shows, one of my favorite characters. Like there's all these different elements that are just kind of coming together. And this almost feels like an an Avengers of Star Wars. You know, you're going to have a scene with Obi-Wan and Mace Windu fighting alongside each other, which probably hasn't happened since Attack of the Clones. Like there's there's all these different sequences where you feel like everything's kind of coming together and everything's starting to make sense a little bit just in time for it to not make sense. And I'm really kind of hoping that they, they take from the clone wars micro series and end up finishing the show with Obi-Wan and Anakin flying into the battle of Coruscant, which we see open revenge of the Sith. That would be that would be amazing. It really would. I think it would be a great way to. I mean, I think 
it's it's strongly implied that we are definitely getting a scene where, you know, Anakin and Obi Wan are forced to leave Ahsoka behind and and go off and rescue the Chancellor, and they get that call. But you know, it would also be really awesome to see a scene where they literally are flying into the Battle of Coruscant and just you see Revenge of the Sith, like, literally, like, you could have it, like, they jump out of hyperspace, and then that's where it ends. And then, you know, like, yeah. immediately after, that's where uh, ROTS picks up. Right. <clears throat> exactly. That's that's basically what they did with the Clone Wars micro-series, was, you know, they got the, the call about the, the, the urgent need to return to Coruscant, and they, they hop in their speeders, and they're like, battle stations, not their speeders, they're starfighters, and, uh, and they're all like, battle stations, prepare for, you know, whatever. And you know they, they they jump out of hyperspace and they fly headfirst into the battle and the series ends with seeing you know republican separatist ships fighting over coruscant and obi-wan and anakin's fighters are flying right into the thick of things yeah like i, I feel like the animation is strong enough now that they would be able to take on a, a grand undertaking like that and it's entirely possible that they could have Obi-Wan and Anakin leading a squadron to perform some particular mission in another part of the battle. And then they find out where the chancellor is being kept and they have to like redirect course and head over that direction. And then that's where it cuts and it opens up with them heading towards uh Grievous's ship in ROTS. I don't know. There's, there's possibilities there, and I think that's what excites me, is the possibility of seeing more of this space battle, or even the possibility of seeing the actual kidnapping. Like, yeah. I, know it's, I know it's described in Labyrinth of Evil, but that's a Legends book now. It's not part of the official canon. But to actually see Grievous land troops on Coruscant and kidnap the Supreme Chancellor, like that would be a pretty epic scene to watch as well. And we've never actually, like, in canon, seen the ground battle of Coruscant. We've no, we have We've only haven't. ever seen from space, and we see kind of the carnage, and we see it in the original Clone Wars micro-series, but, mm. you know, nothing in canon yet, so this is a perfect opportunity to kind of show that. And I'm wondering, like, well, maybe at least get some glimpses of it in, like, one of the, sh- the opening, like, newsreel things. Like, maybe they'll show a little bit of it you know, implying and then kind of not kind of showing to the audience that, hey, this is what's going on in different parts of the galaxy. I don't know. I, I feel like that's a really good, great opportunity. Oh, there's so many great opportunities and so little time because there's only, what, 12 episodes or something? Three arcs, 12 episodes. We're getting Bad Batch. We're getting Ahsoka's Walkabout. And we're getting Siege of Mandalore. And that is it. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm not happy, but I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm I'm so uh-huh. happy that we're getting an ending. I'm happy about that, but I'm still really greedy. And I'm like, can you give us more, please? Can you give us hope that there's more? But uh, you know, we 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 waited so long for this. We we I honestly believed that this would never happen. That we would never get at least not within like ten or fifteen or twenty years um, the proper ending for this series. So the fact this is happening is fine, and if they want to call it the end, that's fine too, because we know the Skywalker saga has ended three times, and we know that was always BS. And it, and it just keeps getting picked up again, yeah. yeah. So, never say never. 
Mm, I don't know. When when you say the final season, and you've got somebody like Dave Filoni who's working on projects like The Mandalorian now, something something tells me this is this is their encore. This is their farewell. Well, it, and you also have to consider the fact that we already have the rumors out there. We won't get into it tonight, but maybe we'll maybe when the, when it actually is officially announced, we'll talk about it in detail. But there is the rumors that. Um, there is going to be a Star Wars Rebels sequel series coming up that's going to be yeah. focusing on Ahsoka and Sabine searching for Ezra. And, you know, that's like, hey, that's a Star Wars Rebels sequel, not a Clone Wars. Well, you know, Rebels was kind of a sequel to Clone Wars. So, you know, picking up where that left off kind of is, uh, a, a, in a way, a continuation of what began in Clone Wars. Well, I mean, I gotta be honest, for several years there the clone wars was really the only canon star wars content that we had yeah like, it was it was carrying the franchise for a long time like like that 2008 to 2014 helped us fill the void until the force awakens in 2015 like that that tv show carried the star wars universe and gave us reason to be interested in what's going on in the galaxy far, far away, all the way up until The Force Awakens came out December of 2015. So, I mean, it's it's pretty impressive when you think about that. And, and, and just, I don't know, very respectful, I guess, to know that you're making these movies like The Rise of Skywalker, which has grossed a billion dollars worldwide and you're still willing to invest money in the Clone Wars program almost as if it's a, a nod to the fans saying I know that this sustained you when we had nothing and we're here to let it continue to sustain you even when you have something right and and I don't I I honestly other than like having a bit more content on Disney Plus, I don't think Disney has a whole lot to gain from this. I, I think they really, I think this is a good example of some goodwill from Disney Lucasfilm that they care about the fans. They care about what we want in regards to this series and realizing their mistake that it was a terrible, terrible, awful mistake to cancel the Clone Wars in the first place. And now they're rectifying it. So, like, you know, you may have beefs with everything. I have my beefs with Lucasfilm and Disney now, you know, the way they're handling things. But, overall, they get my full forgiveness for Clone Wars. Because they're giving me what I wanted, which is the final season and a good proper ending. See, I was hoping that they would kind of, like, general hospital it, or days of our lives it, if you will. And just make it an ongoing serial drama that all happened kind of within the same time frame, but never seemed to have an ending. Right. Because the war was so massive and so expansive. You have tons of different storylines and battles and withdrawals, uh, deaths and victories and, and whatever else that you could tell an indefinite number of stories about what goes on during the Clone Wars. It's the stuff of legends. It's literally the stuff of legends because, you know, 20, 20 years later, Luke Skywalker looks at Obi-Wan Kenobi and says, you fought in the Clone Wars? As if so many things happened during that time that to 
picture somebody being a part of it is now to picture a part of history. And yeah. I, I know I know that, it, that that that's very greedy of me, but to me, seven seasons is not enough of it. And if if they had found a way to do more and to prolong it and potentially even do like a, a series that happens after Order 66 and call it Clone Wars Aftermath or something, I don't know. Um, or or I, I know that the, there's a book called Aftermath in there, so you can't really right. do that. But something something along those lines that gives you an idea of what happens after the fact, and yeah. just just keep keep the show going. But uh, nobody listens to me except the people listening to this podcast. But they have no control over the situation either. So All yay. Right. Well, speaking of listening to you, uh oh. Now there's a thing. There's a, something else that's been happening here with another mm-hmm. star franchise. Mm-hmm. That we want to hear your take on. Of course, I think this past week, actually, we got the official premiere of Star Trek Picard. And it's been making a lot of waves. I've yet to see it. I've yet to see Star Trek Next Generation, so I don't feel like I, I'm worthy of watching this. <laughs> but I still, I'm very interested. I love Trek. And I love Patrick Stewart, and I'm I'm curious what what did you what do you were your initial impressions of Picard? Well, the the thing about Picard is it is set so far apart from everything else that is Star Trek that you have a lot of catching up to do. You have to you have to do a lot of refreshing yourself on. Shows like The Next Generation and movies like Star Trek Nemesis and things like that figure out where Picard left off, what happened to him and his compadres, you know, where are they now kind of thing. Because this was such an afterthought. Like this idea of doing a Picard series was such an afterthought. And you basically have to come up with 20 to 30 years of content that happened between the next generation stuff and Picard stuff. And that was one of the bigger undertakings of this, of this pilot episode, this premiere episode was you had to have enough new to make people intrigued, but you had to have enough of the old to take you on a little bit of a nostalgia trip and help you realize where all of the characters are at now. And that was, that was interesting to watch. That was interesting to to see that kind of exposition unfold because it's not easy to catch people up on what's going on in the universe thirty years later. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. that's that's yeah. that's almost a, a, a that's pretty much the same gap between what we had with uh, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. You know, we 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 recognize it. It is the essence of Star Wars. But there's a completely new story and a whole lot of new stuff happening surrounding these classic older characters. That is basically what Picard is to the Star Trek universe. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of catching you up. But then you also have to throw a new wrinkle at your classic characters to give them a reason to have this story. You know what I mean? Like there has right, to be a reason right. there has to be a reason for um 
for for the show at all. And so getting all of that put together was a pretty a pretty grand undertaking. But I feel like they did a pretty good job of it. I really liked the graphics. I really liked the scenes, the scenery that they had. It was a nice blend of some some throwback nostalgia with some modern Star Trek feel to it. Um, you saw places like Paris and Okinawa and um, San Francisco, which is where Starfleet headquarters is located. You know, they, they've got a lot of those classic elements to it. Hmm. But um, but the the real the real trick is is Patrick Stewart. You know that that's that's kind of the whole reason why you're watching the show in the first place is for Sir Patrick Stewart. And obviously he's up there in years now and it's a little bit harder to to get him to move around and and give him the same type of experiences that he had before. And so the the scenes that they have with him are more dialogue based which makes sense. Right. But the action that they do give him is, is very well done and very well choreographed. Um, and there's, there's a newcomer in the show and I, I forget her name for the life of me. I think it starts with a G. The character's name starts with a G. Um, but she's got really, really good chemistry with Patrick Stewart. And that's, that that's the one thing that I found most encouraging was if this actress is going to be playing opposite Patrick Stewart for the whole season, then things are going to go pretty good. Her name is uh, Dodge. I, I got that completely wrong. Um, her name is Dodge and she's played by Issa Briones. Oh, okay. And, and it's, it's really interesting to to see how this is going to play out, how how these two are going to play off of each other, because Patrick Stewart's drawing a lot from the past, and Dodge's character has memories of her past, but it's kind of clouded, and so Picard is trying to bring some clarity to that clouded past. But it's not that easy when you're, you know, in your 70s and you're retired. <laughs> what kind of resources do you have? What kind of connections do you have? You know, how capable of you are uh, of actually helping this person? And so uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens next. I feel like I'm going to be getting a lot of those Luke Skywalker parallels with you know, am I going to be able to teach this person? Are they going to learn the right lessons from me? Is this going to go well? Is this not going to go well? Um, I I think it's got a lot of potential, but it's it's going to be doing a lot of exposition for the first few episodes to help you get caught up. But then once it does that, once it actually does catch you up with maybe some flashbacks or what have you, then its ability to move forward gives you a lot of potential. The last 10 minutes, I would say were pretty intense and pretty mind blowing. Wow. So 
I'm I'm looking forward to episode two because it's not quite a cliffhanger, but it's one of those intriguing drop-offs where you wish the episode was continuing because you want to see what happens next. Yeah, that's understandable. And, that, and that's exciting to hear. Yeah, I, I, I know I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I... I mean, considering I, that I haven't seen the show and you've seen a full episode, I think you're 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 well within your right to make it a tangent. I, and, I mean, uh, the, well, I just don't want to be eating up a whole lot of time because we got other stuff to talk about tonight. But you are correct. Uh, but I did I did go ahead and and subscribe to CBS All Access, and I'm gonna watch the, the weekly bullet. episodes. Yeah, bit the bullet because I I want to watch the weekly episodes of Picard. I want to get caught up on Discovery so that I'm ready for season three when it releases. And I want to watch the first season of the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. All of those things are on CBS All Access. So okay. finally, finally bit the bullet and got the five ninety nine limited commercial subscription. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Well... I'm very interested. I've got to binge, what, like eight seasons of Star Trek Next Generation and then go watch this one? <laughs> I could probably handpick a few specific episodes that would give you the essence of the show. I probably. feel like I could pick it up just based on the memes and hanging around people that have watched that show. I feel like I could pick it up pretty easily. It's possible. You probably could fill in the gaps, but then that would take away from the joy of watching a classic Star Trek show. Yeah. How how many seasons is that show? I think it is eight seasons. I think you got okay. that right. Oh, yeah. I, just, I just I just guessed. I just guessed. it's like it's like it's like seven or eight. Most Star Trek series are around that. Enterprise only lasted four seasons. The original series only lasted three, but I think all the others have lasted seven. I think TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager were all seven seasons. It's mind blowing that the original series is the one that like lasted so few seasons. Like. And, yeah. they had to, and they had to fight for it. Like, they had they, protests and, yeah. like, Lucille Ball behind the scenes, like, fighting for it. Like, it just is insane. And yeah, the cultural impact of that a, show. Took a bit of a hiatus and then came back in the form of feature-length movies. And then when they created The Next Generation, they used the movies to help pass the baton from one franchise to the other. Mm-hmm. There's actually one movie that crosses over James Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, I've I think I've seen like that's the one original Trek movie, not the one I've seen I've seen Wrath of Khan, but uh the one from the next generation crew that I've seen like most of the way through. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the end of it. And I've seen the joke about uh you know, uh good old Captain Kirk spends his all his time on a bridge and then he dies on a bridge. And a broad bridge falls on him. <laughs> you live on the bridge, you die on the bridge. Yeah, uh, it's called poetry. It rhymes. Yeah, Star Trek has it too. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> but All yeah, right. if, if you've got access to it, I would suggest checking it out. Um, but maybe wait a couple of weeks so that you can watch two or three episodes in succession because that that first episode leaves you wanting more and i'm not gonna get jack squat until thursday so Boom. yeah if you if you can avoid spoilers i think that's probably the best way to do it is a, mm. is a way to just a bit and then uh yeah 
good strategy, but uh, Superman. Yes. I just I just threw it in there just just to get the conversation okay. going, flowing. I actually, I actually do have a little bit of a tie-in. It, right. It's 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 mild, but it's there. The the title cards when you're introducing the cast and characters in this movie, they have that that blue with the streak on their names as it's yeah. like popping into view. That actually very much resembles some of the opening title card stuff that you get from the Next Generation TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I get like the font and everything is kind of very similar. The, the, the font and having space behind it and having the the lettering kind of zooming in and out and having like that, that light streak attached to it and give you that, that lettering up on the screen. Yeah. It, it actually, it resembled TNG a lot. And I was like, interesting. So Star Trek borrows from other movies as well. <laughs> they all steal from each other. It's just a, it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. It but, is. Uh, yeah. Superman. Like I mm-hmm. said, I watched this movie for the first time fully. Kind of knew what to expect, but kind of didn't. And, you know, this movie, you know, it has a reputation in, in all these films. And, you know, I think Superman 2, more or less, is propped up as, like, the great movie from this franchise. Um, and I think we're going to talk about that one probably next week. And then the week after, I don't know. I think we're going to go through all of these things. And apparently, 3 and 4 are not good. Um, push those together into one conversation and be like yeah three wasn't good also four wasn't good also i watched zombies instead because it was a better use of my time (laughs) oh gosh i can't believe i actually i have to actually track down and watch that um because apparently yeah i I don't even know what to expect i'm kind of scared kind of scared but we're talking about this movie tonight if we're gonna watch those movies we also need to watch stuff like uh Batman and Robin. I'm game. I'm game. We're doing a Superman arc now. Let's do Batman after this. Those movies are absolutely terrible. Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face and uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler. The Bat-Nipples. Uma Uma Thurman as, as Poison Ivy. Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. Like, oh my gosh. Classic. you would think that a cast like that would be awesome, but back in back in that day, it wasn't meant to be true to life. It was meant to be exaggerated. And I think I remember hearing about in a in an interview at, at one point, Schwarzenegger was in costume, and the director called out, "Okay, everyone, remember you are in a cartoon now. Action!" <laughs> like he basically told them to be animated. Don't don't try to be real. Don't try to make it like a like a human image story. Like you're supposed to be exaggerated. You're supposed to be ridiculous. It's okay. That's what the movie's about. Yeah, those those Schumacher movies are just flat out like just amazingly cartoony and I think that's the point. And honestly, I want to like watch them all the way through because I feel like there is something to appreciate in the madness that is uh, Batman and Robin and the other sequels. <laughs> it's just amazing. Well, going to his counterpart here, 
this this man in tights. This uh, I you the you original man in tights. You 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 can't really call him the man of steel because there is no steel to him. It's they 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 say in the beginning of the movie for the exposition that he's just got a higher molecular density. Right. Like he's not he's not actually made of steel. His molecules are just tightly compressed and it makes him impervious to penetration. Yes, okay. I said penetration. Yeah, on the you said you said it. You said it. I didn't want to call attention to it, but you said it. Yeah, I said it. Uh it, but it 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 makes him not as susceptible to things like bullets because of the of the way that his molecular structure is. And so I I did find that uh that exposition rather intriguing taking a look at you know what the original interpretation was for his dying planet and the politics behind it and how all of that played out like it was it was interesting to see a 1978 take on things that we've seen in cartoons and movies all these years this was the very first take of it and i I enjoyed the lore of it. I did not enjoy the overacting of people when the world came crashing down on top of them. That was that was almost hilarious. You got to be honest. Like that it's, was just the whole montage. It goes on for so long. It's not like it it's this one thing where you're kind of focused on Superman's parents and they're kind of going through it and you see people dying in the background like they want to sell you on the fact that all these people are just like dying in the most dramatic way possible and mm -hmm. um <laughs> it's intense it, well it's intense in a zany way though because like you can tell that they put the music over it and they shook the camera from side to side and were yelling at the characters like the extras they were like left right Mm -hmm. more to the right left like they're just flopping all over the place and it's so funny to watch but that was considered like great directing and great camera work back in the day you know what i mean oh yeah like this is this is what you had to work with so you make the most of it and i i feel like they did that it it, it kind of brought home the idea that this entire planet was in danger it's not just one city or one family. Everybody was at risk. And even though it was a bit exaggerated, a bit over the top, you did kind of see just how much danger the planet Krypton really is. And yes, I'm saying it the way Kal-El's father is saying it. Jor-El. Everybody on, everybody on the council called it Krypton. I don't know how things got lost in the translation. I'm still trying to figure that out. But everybody at the beginning of the movie pronounced it as Krypton. And then later on in the movie, Clark describes it as Krypton. Like, it's, it's funny that it, actually that pronunciation actually fits with the pronunciation of kryptonite. If you just say if you just take the Krypton out of kryptonite, that's it. Yep. And maybe well, I mean, that's where they got it from, but it, it it appears that there's certain explanations. I don't know what the correct one is. I think I feel like everyone says Krypton, and we call the TV show Krypton, but 
you know, uh, in this in this series, it's Krypton. Yep, yep. They call it. They, that's what that's what they call it. And then when he makes it to to the cave later on in the movie, you know, he kind of ages and fast forwards a little bit. And when he flies out of the cave and and tries to go off and save the day and all that sort of stuff that's when he starts using the term krypton so i'm guessing that somewhere in the cave he picked that up and they just never corrected him on it and so now that's just what he calls it but it's just an interesting little phonetical element to throw in there to be like oh yeah this is how the locals called it and this is how a foreign kid calls it I'm just I'm I'm picturing that, you know, Richard Donner sat down with Marlon Brando and was like, okay, yeah, you're gonna be you're Jorel, you're from Krypton, and then they just did the movie and Brando's like Krypton, he's like, no, 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 Brando, please, it's it's Krypton, Krypton, no, please, it's <laughs> it's Krypton, Krypton, I mean, it's Krypton, um, so I think Krypton. I think that I think I think it's a it's a it's a retcon by Marlon Brando. Well, it could be, or maybe we just take it in stride and call it Krypton from now on. I'm I'm accepting it as my head cannon. This is this is this is my head cannon now. All of the, but it wasn't it wasn't just Marlon Brando. There were other members of the council that also called it that. He he got them all in it. It's, it's Brando. I'm telling you, it's a conspiracy. He got them all into it. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds like something Brando would do. <laughs> Like, really That's one of, like, the first thing that my key guard saw. I'm like, why is he saying Krypton? This is bothering me. <laughs> what the hell, Brando? <laughs> like, he's you just great. He's, reach, he's... You, just, you just wanted to like reach through the screen and slap him a little bit and be like, <laughs> call it what it is. Classically, classic, iconic, great actor Marlon Brando. Say this right. <sighs> right. He's great. He's great in this role, though. He really is. He really is. He elevates like, the movie. I mean, not to no. Christopher Reeve is amazing. We'll get to that. But like having Marlon yeah. Brando, like anyone could have played that role, but they got freaking Marlon Brando. Yeah, yeah. And I, I knew going into it that when you're when you're playing when you're when you're playing that role, when you're playing Jarrell, you're not going to have a whole lot of screen time. It, that that's just kind of a given it comes with the territory of you know your planet being blown up but the the stuff that he did passing on the knowledge that he had and and doing everything that he could to ensure that his son had a good life like that's what that that's that's what you're supposed to do you know like he Mm -hmm. that that that's what a good dad is supposed to do and and he did that i was I, I I was pleased with his performance. I liked it a lot. One question I have is why didn't they just have a bigger escape pod, and why couldn't they just the both the parents go too? Well, okay, I don't think anybody left. I I didn't see any other ships except for Clark's. Yeah, and see that's I mean that's definitely the implication that the council doesn't want anybody to leave, um, for whatever reason. <laughs> They're they're certain that the planet's not going to blow up, and they don't want anybody to leave. So in case it does blow up, all the kryptonites die. Basically, that's basically it. And so they were they they were defying the council enough just by sending Kal El away to to leave themselves would be probably considered 
an act of sedition or an act of cowardice or whatever. But the planet was like, going to blow up like five minutes later. So like, you know, like, come arrest me. I don't care. You're going gonna, gonna to die anyway. I was about to say, who's going to be arresting you? Nobody else is leaving the planet. Right. So, but we, we get one thing I do really like about these opening scenes is the fact that we get Terrence Stamp as uh, General Zod, which yes. he, he doesn't show up at all in the rest of the movie, but it's that scene is specifically setting up the sequel, which is actually really good continuity if you think about it, because, you know, they were planning ahead with this. Like, General Zod is just there, and you don't even, like, it's it's hard to tell, like, what happens to them. Like, they're put into a pane of glass and then shot off into space. <laughs> I don't know, but it's it's certain also, that the- they are the last ones alive. The the force field was basically a couple of hula hoops taped together. Yeah, yeah, I I love the 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 low budget uh, sci fi here. <laughs> also, the sets, like the the overview of the city. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, they they're like, and there's probably some impressive amount of like models and stuff because like yes, there's no CGI. That's, that's- Word. That's the word I was looking for. Was the the model sets that they had for the capital city? It reminded me of like a utopian Death Star. Like yeah, they, you're right. They used very similar camera angles the way that they did for like some of the overhead shots of the trench run and things like that. And and not to mention the th- that, but also the costumes. Like what they're wearing is like these. I don't know how they achieve that effects. I don't know if they're like reflective aluminum foil or something like that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like either they actually like the suits are lit up or like they have like bright light shining on all of them. I'm thinking maybe it's something similar to what they did with the lightsabers in Star Wars because I mean, this is 78 literally a year after uh the original Star Wars, but yep. the uh the, the original lightsabers were covered in film like a reflective tape. And then they would be spin inside the hilts, and then they would reflect light onto them, and it would bounce back into the camera. I'm thinking maybe something similar to that here is like, but it's like a really interesting, like really kooky kind of effect of like, yeah, because they live in space, they have reflective uniforms. Why not? I mean, honestly, why not? Who's to, who's to say what your wardrobe in space is supposed to be, especially in 1978? And they all wear the same thing. That's the thing about the future. You know, if we li- if we get to be as advanced as Krypton, we will all wear the same uniform. Uh, speaking of uniforms, <laughs> have you seen have you seen the Space Force uniforms? No, I heard about this. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! So I heard, I heard it's I heard they reveal the logo and it's very Starfleet esque. Uh, yeah, that's one thing that, that, that is one thing. Uh, I, I reposted it on my Twitter page and the similarities are just absolutely uncanny. Like a lot of the Star Trek cast is very up in arms over this because they're like, how dare you? Like, how, how dare you make this a thing? Like you didn't. You didn't talk to any of us about this. Like, why 
why is this a thing just now? But I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the side by side of it on Facebook here. Cause it's it's crazy how similar the two are. But they also had like camouflage uniforms that they shared on their like official Twitter page. And people are like who are you going to be hiding from in the forests of space? Are you going to Endor or something? <laughs> like, why do you need camouflage for space? Meanwhile, meanwhile, Steve Carell is working with Netflix to create an office style TV series about the space force. Really? Oh, man, that's going to be good. He's going to be like the commanding general of the division, and he's basically going to be an army version of Michael Scott, from what I can understand. I am down for that. And they posted, like, the costumes of their uniforms for Space Force, and they're more lunar in pattern. Like, instead Mm of, like, greens and browns for forest camouflage it's more like grays and silvers with crater like patterns on their uniforms and i'm like holy crap this is like really good where did you come up with this like those uniforms look like something i would actually be interested in wearing if i was enlisted in it you know what i mean (laughs) and see now we got space force we can we can stop what happens in this movie, you know. These people from outer space sending them their sending us their babies. We're protected from that now. Okay? Yes. None of these people coming in and take our jobs. All right. Uh, so let, let's talk about the family that takes in this baby. Then yeah. he, he ends up landing in Kansas, middle, middle of nowhere, middle of, middle of nowhere. And uh, I guess in the 70s, it's okay to show privates? I I was surprised by that. I'm like, like, this is a PG uh, movie. I was like, okay, that's a little boy's wee-wee that we're looking at right there. Like, um... Seriously. Like, uh, oh, okay, that's that's a thing, I guess. But... You know, as a as a whole, it was very interesting to to see his origins and how you know they recognize what's special about him by you know just the the simple act of picking up a car. Right. You know, like you don't expect that from somebody that young, and to to see him doing that, and then to see him you know punting a football to Kingdom Come. Once he's grown up a little bit, right? Like, like the the racing the train segment was hilarious to me. Really janky. Let that like it's obvious. Like he's just like somehow they're suspending him above the ground, and he's just moving his legs really fast. It just whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> they got him on wires, boy. They got him on wires, and that's like a split screen thing. They got the train running on one place, and they got him running on the wires on another place, like. Those those two things are not happening simultaneously, but it was still fun to watch. Yeah, and and those sequences, I was surprised because like you you expect to see Clark as a baby, and you, know, you expect to see him as Christopher Reeve. I kind of 
forgotten slash didn't realize that there was an intermediate actor in there playing the role of of Clark Kent and uh, I'm I'm missing the guy's name off the top of my head uh, but uh, young Clark Kent Jeff East is his Jeff name East. who play who played yes. the younger Clark Kent um, yes, yes. But uh, he does a pretty good job. I mean, for what he gets a lot more screen time than I thought. I thought he would just have a couple scenes, but like he kind of keeps going in those scenes, and he gets to, you know, the uh, the Fortress of Solitude, which was kind of surprising. And uh, yeah, um, you know, not you know, no one can match Christopher Reeve, and I definitely want to talk about him. But like you know, it's it's uh, so f- few fun scenes, I suppose, but also freaking tragic. <laughs> Because, you know, in, in, in uh, you know, he, he keeps kind of, you know, he, in true superhero fashion, he's he's uh, not treated well by his friends, kind of screwed over. And then uh, yeah. also, you know, we, we, you know, Paul Kent, we, we, we knew you so soon, so, uh, so quickly because uh, he, he's on there and he, he's dead. Yeah, it's like he's there, one inspirational speech and then gone. Like okay, you served your purpose. Now goodbye. I did. Yeah. I did like seeing him buried at the Smallville Cemetery, though. Yeah, because that was cool. as we know, we've got this entire TV series by the same name, and it just it, it helped me connect the dots just that little bit more. That's like okay, so if this is the Smallville Cemetery, then this is like similar to how the show's setting could end up looking. Right, yeah, and one other thing that I noticed, completely unrelated here, do you notice the really perfectly placed box of Cheerios? Dude, okay, actually, yes, I did notice that. As you know, I am the king of noticing product placement. Mm -hmm. Ever since I learned about it in one of my media classes, I have just been making keen notations of product placement and it is no different in this film i i guess i didn't realize that it goes as far back as 1978 but i guess it does because you've got the perfectly placed cheerios and then when you're watching tv in the windows you know how they got like the the tv interviews and the the reporters that are talking about all the stuff that this this uh this new hero is performing all of the VCRs and recording devices and all of the TV brands, they are all JVC. <laughs> they, got they, a, they, got a, they got an ad deal with them. They are all JVC. And then the the young photographer, I forget his name off the top of my head, but the, the young ambitious photographer that goes around with Lois and Clark to a lot of different events – he is always shooting with a Nikon camera. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, interestingly enough, I feel like that was some of the product placement that we got in Man of Steel. I'm yeah, pretty... that, and that's what I was connecting it to, is like, there is so much product placement in, in Man of Steel, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it almost like... Did they get the idea from this movie? Like, it's, what is going on here? It's almost like this movie kind of set a precedent. I'm curious to see what happens in, like, Superman 2 and whatnot, if it continues. Because if it is, then it's just a Superman movie trope 
where you just happen to have some pretty blatant product placement thrown into your movies. If that's the case, then I might be able to tolerate the the Nikon product placement thing that you get in Man of Steel because I'm like, oh, okay, that's just something that we do in Superman movies now. Yeah, it's I mean the Cheerios I noticed right off the bat. I'm like, okay, that's that's a bit much. Like you can tell when they're doing it when it feels like you're watching a Cheerios commercial. Or a v- yeah, VCR like commercial. The, like, like the whole sunrise and stuff. It's like, start your day off right with a box of Cheerios. You could totally make that. Somebody could cut that and make that into a commercial. Um, <laughs> Even Superman eats breakfast. At least Superman didn't like have a fight in, a, in a, an IHOP. Like, it wasn't that egregious. Oh my god. We'll get to that movie. We're going to get to it. Because we haven't actually officially discussed Man of Steel on this podcast yet. There's a reason for that. (laughs) There's a reason we've done 250 plus other episodes that don't concern. This is number 270, y'all. 270. IPC 270 tonight. Uh, yeah, but we've done several crossovers before, too, and those kind of count towards the numbers also. So, like, Endgame Pod, Jedi Pod, Skywalker Pod. I, incl- I include those in the numbering system. I include them. Yep, yep. So. There you go. And, anyways. Um, but we, we, we go from there, you know, you have, you know, it kind of moves along there, and you, you get to Metropolis. Yep, and you know that was something that that was like the movie part of the movie that I was expecting. Like I, I would have almost expected the movie to just start there, but uh, it didn't, and it kind of took a while to actually get there. You know, it's pretty well in there, but uh, you know, you're introduced to to the to the to the crew, the the good old Superman crew, as you were mentioning earlier, and I I finally looked up his name. I feel bad for not remembering him, Jimmy Olsen. You got uh-huh. um. You got uh, Perry White, and of course you got Lois Lane, and uh, yeah, so uh, g- nice to kind of get in here, and it, it doesn't take long. It really, this movie takes a while to get going, but once it gets going, it really hits its mark. Yeah, I think that's fair because you you've done so much telling of his origin that it it's time to look at where he is now. It's time to look at at what he has become and who he hopes to be. And it's it's interesting to look at because he's really kind of mastered the idea of having an alter ego. Like, oh, yes, like the, the, the Clark Kent that's working at the Daily Planet. He is shy. He's awkward. He's nervous. He's a little bit of a coward, honestly. Like when they get mugged, he's like, Lois, right. you give him your purse like he's he's very very nervous very on edge but then when he goes to visit lois for that exclusive interview he is like the most suave and calm and cool and collected character you've ever seen and really all he does is wear a pair of glasses and a leisure suit it's it's and okay, we're just gonna get into it right now. Christopher Reeve. Okay. No, nothing, nothing can be said that hasn't already been said about this guy. And may he rest in peace. We 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 lost him a few years ago, and you know he's such an amazing actor, and he does so much with his role. And it, it is like 
because I was thinking about this, how, like, it has become this tropey joke of, why doesn't anyone notice that when Clark Kent takes off his glasses, he looks like Superman? Mm-hmm. But in this movie, it sells it. Christopher Reeves sells it, the idea that people around him, not just Lois Lane, but everyone around him, doesn't realize that they're the same person. And just the way, and, and perf- what perfectly illustrates this is the whole, like, you know, the, the mugging scene is great. Like, he's so, like, fidgety, and he's nervous, and all this kind of stuff. And then you get to the interview scene, and which is, a like, cinematography, everything-wise, is a brilliant scene, because you have him sitting there talking, and he's saying he flies away. And then one shot, you go from that, him flying away, to her in her apartment and then it goes back to the door and Clark Kent's on the other side and I don't know how they did it it's amazing but it's also the 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 moment after that when he comes in she walks away and you don't even notice it when he's doing it but he takes off his glasses and he I think he's like trying to he's about to like tell her the truth I think yeah and he takes off the glasses and his whole expression changes, and he his whole posture changes. Like he like he grows like a foot. His like, expression, his posture, and even his voice has a different timber. Yeah. Like it's, he it's, sounds he sounds different. He speaks differently. His mannerisms are different. Like almost everything about him is different, save for his looks. And so like you can kind of get where that where that where that disconnect comes from where that confusion comes from from other people because he kind of takes his voice up a notch a little bit and he's a little bit more nervous when he's Clark and he, and yeah and he just just stammers all over the place and he doesn't know he's just he's just very nervous and and, and uptight and as Superman he's just very loose and and very you know confident and. Uh, he just does so much to distinguish Clark Kent and Superman, Kal-El, as two completely different people. Yep. Yep. Christopher Reeve does a, a really, really great job of like giving you a distinction between Clark Kent and Superman. Right. Set, and, sets and he, the precedent, honestly, because when you when you look at how... Henry Cavill does it. He's got pieces of his persona that cross over into both characters. Like he's just he's just being Henry Cavill, sometimes in a super suit, sometimes not. Right. And that's not that's not a knock on him as Superman, although I definitely prefer him as Geralt of Rivia. But we've talked about this already. But he doesn't give as detailed a distinction between the two characters. And that's part of what separates him from someone like Christopher Reeve is Reeve gives you a a very black and white look at one persona as opposed to the other. There is no gray area there. You're either Clark Kent or you're Superman. So if he ever does like reveal himself to Lois, like I expect him to in the next movie, then how does he, you know, carry both of those things over? And maintain his relationship with her. Because now that she knows both sides of him, you know, what does that dynamic look like between workplace people and 
her knowing his secret, that kind of thing. We came dangerously close a couple of times. Hasn't happened yet, but I feel like it's on the horizon. Yeah, and and, and bring you, you bring up Henry Cavill. I think Henry Cavill deserves a lot of credit for Superman. He's gotten wrong end of the stick in a lot of cases. You know, you know, you know, all the stuff that happened with Justice League and the mustache was not his fault. Like, I still think like he gives like a good performance in all those films. You know, despite the writing that he's given. Um, and I, I can appreciate what Zack Snyder was doing with that because, like, in that movie, it's established that Lois Lane is, you know, she figures it out pretty quickly. And she's kind of on his case, and she's investigating him, and she figures out he's actually, you know, Superman. He doesn't really become, like, the Clark Kent that we know until the very end. But, like, it's, uh, I think this movie just... I love the whimsicalness of this movie and the fact that it totally there's no it is true fantasy and like the the, the scene that I realized that was the flying scene I'm just like okay how is he doing this how is she actually flying how is he actually carrying her and it's not it's just the fact that oh yeah she can just he's just transferring his power to her or whatever like and you just believe it and you know, going all up, all the way up to him carrying her, and then you know, carrying the helicopter along with it. Like there's stuff like that. That like, just go with it. Don't think also, too much about the. Talk about what kind of upper body strength it takes to be able to hold a helicopter at your middle arm's length. <laughs> and the 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 strength of that strut on that helicopter. Yep. Yep. Also true. Like, I haven't seen such an unbelievable helicopter sequence since I saw Steve Rogers grab onto one and hold onto the helipad with the other hand. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, still, okay. it's just, it just embraces the weirdness and the, and the just stupidity. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Go, going back to the storytelling for, for just a second, though, the flight sequence. She doesn't really know entirely what all of his powers are yet. And she thinks that one of them could be mind reading. And for a good portion of the flight, she's trying to project her thoughts out there so that he can potentially hear them and act on them. Right. And a lot of the things are, you look so alone. I want to be there for you. I want to help you. I want to be your friend. Uh, you know, I want to be your your reason to stay here on this planet. Like she is just swooning for him, just just pining for this man. And she is so engrossed with him that when Clark comes to take her to dinner or whatever, she is still like a starry eyed teenager staring at the balcony. Right. What I find incredibly ironic is that Clark is new in town, obviously. Like, right. as, as a human, Clark is new in town. He doesn't have anybody. He's completely alone. He's looking for a friend. And yet she doesn't give him the time of day. <laughs> yeah. Like, can we just talk about that irony and how... She says to one half of him, I want to be there for you. And she basically says without words, screw you. I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, she is so she is so infatuated, infatuated 
with Superman and so uninterested in Clark. Yeah, and that that's a testament to uh, to to Christopher Reeve and being able to to you know bring that distinction to the table, but also to just Kal El in general for being able to carry out that idea of being two different people. Right. Like makes that distinction so well. Right. Yeah. And yeah, as we said, like Christopher Reeve is just, he, 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 he was and is just a brilliant actor. And, you know, I think he elevates this film and, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming away from this film saying it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I think it's a great Uh, movie. It's, it's it's got its issues and and definitely a lot of the special effects and a lot of the you know you know even some of the acting moments are not the best and they definitely haven't aged well but Christopher Reeve just you just watching him for for his performance is amazing i will say though the one piece of cgi that i liked was his x-ray vision hmm yeah i yeah, i cool. i liked how they could take a solid and, and basically kind of make like a, a blurry circle and then show what was quote unquote inside of whatever device it was and how he would uh, pretend that he couldn't see things. And then other times he knew exactly what was like in her purse or exactly what color underwear she was wearing or something like this is a <laughs> this is this is a PG movie like. I think I think one of the weirdest cringeworthy scene sequences was during that interview and he reveals that that her underwear is pink and then a, a minute or two later she asks the question do you like pink <laughs> Like that's the 1978 version of do you like my underwear Awkward like oh Oh, but then, <laughs> then I thought of that. I thought of that stupid meme, that stupid four-panel meme where it's like four, like like two characters talking to each other, and it's it's never anything that actually gets said in a movie or a TV show. But they put those captions in anyway, and it's like, I love your underwear. Thanks. It was fifty percent off. I'd love it better if it was a hundred percent off. That's not how sales work, Superman. <laughs> That is the best meme. That's a that's a terrible way to run a business, Clark. <laughs> so good. So good. Oh gosh. Um, um okay, the score. The okay. John Williams score. Um, we got we got to talk about this. Yeah. Cuz it's amazing. Where do we even start? I mean, I don't know. I I I've heard this. Of course, I've heard it for a long, long time. I've heard it played in concert. You know, it's 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 one of those iconic themes that you know it even if you haven't seen the original source of it. But like, it still doesn't quite measure up to seeing it here and and hearing it in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 stunning. And it, I think it's up there, honestly, as one of my favorites of John Williams ever. I can't remember. I know we did top five John Williams thing. I don't know if I put put Superman in there, but uh, I feel Pretty like I sure. need to because that's fair. That's fair. But uh, because it's 
phenomenal. It's 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 just like it's like this. It's weird. It's kind of like this uh, amalgamation of like Jaws and Star Wars. Like it, it starts kind of slow and like da 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 da, and it kind of builds mm-hmm. and and it gets to the crescendo. It's really Star Warsified, and this is, comes after Star Wars, but it's it's different, but also a lot the same in regards to just the heroicism of it. Well, and that's the thing is the heroics of it tends to come from the wind instruments. And I think that's part of what makes it sound so heroic is every time a crescendo tends to happen, it sounds almost like a fanfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like like it's it's not just a score, it's not just a musical piece. It is almost like I, I don't I don't even know. It's almost like you're having a parade for the character. Is, yeah, is that, yeah, exactly. Is, is that a fair way to put it? Is it, it 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 almost sounds like the kind of stuff you would hear at a at a parade or on the Fourth of July or at the Olympics or something like that. And you know, John Williams did the score for the Olympics also. But yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it's one of those. one of those pieces where it's like this is this is majestic but not in the sense of like you're announcing the arrival of the king and queen it's majestic in the sense that this person is being praised by music yeah and that that's that's a that's a very difficult feat to accomplish and john williams does it so well in this film and like superman is essentially a god yeah, and like he is. I mean, there's a lot of parallels, you know, with, you know, uh, you know, the Jesus parallels and all this kind of stuff. You can you can definitely go there, but just like yeah. being being the like wh- I don't know what is the definition of a god, and and most people, you know, we we've we're we're accustomed to the idea of like oh Thor is a demigod. He is someone who is all powerful seemingly. And Superman is that degree. He is the Superman. There's a reason they call him Superman. He is ridiculously powerful, you know, with all of his powers. And if he lived in the real world, he would, you know, be considered a god. And I like the idea that, like, he's kind of... This is kind of like a praise song for Superman. <laughs> Almost. Almost. <laughs> I, I, I will say that I will tonight. See. I will tell you though, there are there are a few different things that I think of when I hear this uh, this not just the not just the da 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 dum, but some of the Krypton music as well, the stuff that they play on his planet, and then some of the um I, I don't know what you call them the the repeat harmonies that remind you of uh-huh. his home planet later on in the film when he's doing like the the flashback sequence. Uh, towards the end of the of the movie, uh, some of some of those moments remind me uh, a lot of the Olympics. They remind me, actually, of um, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Oh, Deep yeah. Space Nine, Deep Space Nine came out in the '90s, so obviously, whoever the composer was, I'm pretty sure it was Jerry Goldsmith. Um, whoever composed the extended fanfare for the deep space nine theme i feel like they definitely got inspiration from the superman theme like without a doubt and yeah i feel like this influenced a lot of scores oh yeah absolutely 
but the the funny thing is one of the other things that I think of when I hear this music is waiting in line to go on a ride at Six Flags. Oh, yeah. Because the Six Flags theme parks have a partnership with DC Comics, and a lot of their thrill rides are named after DC characters. You have the Batman, you have the Harley Quinn ride, you have the Riddler Revenge, the Joker, and then there's one that's called the Superman. It's usually a, a tower that's got like a launched hydraulic freefall that takes you 100, 200 feet in the air and then drops you. And when you're waiting in line to go on this ride, it's basically always playing the Superman theme on loop. Ah, uh, yeah. So you're in line for goodness knows how long, like an hour plus, depending on if you're uh, riding with a group of people or trying to get in the single riders line. But while you're in there, you're always hearing the dun da da dun da da dun da dun da da and finally by about the fifth or sixth time this is where my other thought starts to sink in by about the fifth or sixth time i'm so fed up with it that i just start singing along to it with Corey vital's lyrics oh hell yes like i can't i can't help it man I, I just I can't help it that th- that acapella John Williams tribute medley has basically ruined this fanfare for me because <laughs> I made it or made it better. I was I was listening to it um, last night while while watching the movie and they're doing the whole cast of characters at the beginning of the film and playing the music for you to kind of get you hyped up for what's to come and. Like, I couldn't sit back and just listen to the music and appreciate it for what it was. I can still do that with Jaws. I can still do that with Jurassic Park. I can still do that with Star Wars. I can still do that with Indiana Jones. Like, there are all these other John Williams pieces that get riffed on the Corey Vital video. But with the Superman theme, for whatever reason, anytime I hear it, I'm only thinking... Get in there, you big furry oh. That's the best like, I, best part of the song. Like yeah. that's like the most iconic. That's the one that gets stuck in your head so much. Yeah, that's why. It is. it is. I can actually probably do that entire video if I wanted to, but I really don't want to because we got other stuff to talk about <laughs> and other stuff to do. But yeah, uh, what do do you have any any more thoughts on John Williams' score? Things that can kind of round out that part of the conversation um I, I think just overall i think it's really one of his most iconic i think uh, there's a lot of people I, I for one i've heard this in one example of this this isn't an episode of seinfeld mm-hmm. and there if for those seinfeld fans who not remember there's a there's i think it's called the race and it's where jerry gets involved with a foot race with someone else and it's it's usual seinfeld fashion but the end sequence is Jerry running to this theme. And, of course, a running joke is that Jerry is a huge fan of Superman. Um, mm. So it's kind of fitting, and his girlfriend's named Lois and all this kind of stuff. But, like, I don't, I didn't make that connection, especially when I was a kid and even into an adulthood. I'm, like, realizing that this really iconic music that I've heard all my life goes with this movie. I didn't realize it was actually the Superman theme. I'm assuming a lot of other people were in the same boat that it's not as 
Like, people hear the Star Wars theme, I think they know it's the Star Wars theme. Whereas, I'm not so sure people <laughs> would pick out that this is definitely the Superman theme. Um, but it's still iconic. It's still, like, up there. Like, I went to a John Williams concert where they played John Williams music, and this was one of the biggest and best ones. It's amazing. Um, but, you know, it's 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 just all part of it, and I suppose... You know, it's 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 super iconic, and it, it deserves more credit, I think, for you know doing what it does. That's fair. That is fair. I I went to see Jurassic Park in concert, and it was basically like a giant John Williams concert, obviously, because all they were yeah. playing was the film score during the movie. And I got to tell you, seeing. Uh, journey to the island while listening to the music from a live orchestra that's just that's one of those musical memories that i'm never gonna forget and i can i can i can only imagine what that must be like if they tried to play superman in the theaters you know I, i i think because it's older it's not as accessible and so they're probably not going to do that. Like, I know that they do it for Jurassic Park and Empire Strikes Back. They might do it for E.T. or something like that. But um, I just I don't I don't know if you're going to ever see a full concert of the entire Superman score. So you got you got pretty lucky getting to hear what you did at that particular concert, because it, it goes so far back that. You know, outside of Star Wars in in 77, most of what we end up hearing from Williams's work is like more recent than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. So it it goes pretty far back, pretty deep in the archives to pull out that sheet music. Uh, Yeah, indeed. And speaking of archives, we're going to pull out our little ad breaks from the archives here, take a short little commercial to hear from our partners and sponsors, and uh, say hello to our patrons on the Flippity Flip, and we'll keep talking about this movie on the Flippity Flip when the IPC podcast continues right after this. This is IPC. Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. 
hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? We are back, continuing our discussion of the 1978 film Superman. Honestly, probably one of the first, if not the first, superhero movies that we've ever gotten. Can you recall any other superhero getting a movie before this? Did did, uh, did the Batman get uh, a movie like during his run in the 60s? Is that what it was, or did it come? I believe. After? Yeah, I believe that should have predated that because there was a Batman movie that was based around the, the original thing and you know there was other like you have the George Reeves Superman which is pretty iconic you know from the I Love Lucy show and stuff like that but I don't think he ever got a movie I don't know there's so many movies I would be curious to know like what the first superhero movie was but like I think it's safe to say that even if this one wasn't the first one it was like the one that set the precedent for like what we're seeing today is a direct result of, like, what was started here with the Donner film. Um, let's see. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking on Google and getting myself distracted here, but uh, <laughs> uh, as you do. But I'm not getting. Yeah, the, the results, Adam but... West, the Adam West Burt Ward movie came yeah, uh, two months after the last episode of the first season. So they had one season of TV under their belts, and they felt that was enough to make a movie out of it. Wow, that is, that's, uh, more power to him, I guess. Yeah, that's ambitious. <laughs> uh, that's ambitious as heck, honestly. But yeah, that one, that one came out in 66, and then Superman came out 12 years later in uh, 78. So these are, those were probably like the first two that we can really uh, make pretty certain note of. However, um, I... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to like be that guy that just officially designates this as the first superhero movie. Obviously, that's 
that, that well, that's... and it also it also comes down to like what you categorize as superhero, because you have going way back to the '30s oh. and even the '20s, you had you know stuff like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, and you kind of categorize those characters oh, as superheroes. Um, and true. then I'm looking at here. There's a Superman serial. It says Superman is a 1948 15 part black and white Columbia Pictures film serial based on the comic book character Superman. I believe this was, um, you know, uh, I believe this was animated. Maybe I'm not sure. But like going way back, like before the TV, people would go to theaters to watch like serialized content like Flash Gordon and maybe at the time Superman 2. So I'm sure the first is probably in there somewhere, but like as a full-fledged movie as we know it today, Superman 1978 has to be one of the first. Yep. Yep. And as such, it's it's very groundbreaking in the sense that you're looking at somebody who has powers you're looking at somebody that has great responsibility. You're looking at somebody who is trying to protect their home, protect the people they love, protect their identity, and doing it in such a way that's really never been done before. Um, it, it's just it's fascinating to think about and to look at as a comparison and contrast from you know the the superhero movies of yesteryear and compare them to something like say Avengers Endgame. Right. You know, you take, take, take a look at, at those two things. And I'm not necessarily saying to compare apples to oranges, but just looking at how it's evolved over the years, what do you think some of the biggest standouts are as far as the involvement of the superhero genre from then to now? Well, yeah, I mean, you have, I mean, a huge step forward is, is these, I think, you know, probably a lot of it is is Burton's Batman um, which I just recently saw, um, and you know, going up to I think I think you have kind of this '70s '80s kind of superhero boom with Superman and Batman, and I think it kind of died off. I think what really brought it back was X Men and Spider Man. You know, early 2000s, those were really the ones that kind of j- jump started the superhero boom they were seeing today. Whereas this was kind of like Superman was laying the foundation for it. Spider-Man and the X-Men really, you know, gave birth to what we know today as the Marvel Cinematic Universe and even the DCEU to an extent. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that's fair. I think the other idea is this this concept of of serializing things and yet also separating them. Like that that's one thing that DC has tried to do as of late. And it's something that Marvel has been doing, obviously, since 2008, is you've got different heroes that have different stories, and yet you find a way to intertwine them. Like, I know that they tried that with with Batman and Superman, and it probably didn't go as well as they'd hoped. And it's, it's fascinating to think how you could have an entirely standalone movie with this 1978 Superman film, and then... You know, 11 years later, you make Michael Keaton's Batman film, and there's – I don't think there's hardly any reference to Metropolis. There's hardly any reference to uh, Clark Kent or anybody like that. It's it's completely separate. It's it's completely different. 
and I I still don't know if that was like if that's if that's a good thing or if it's not a good thing, but like what Marvel's been able to do as far as cohesive storytelling and cohesive writing goes, it's definitely been one of the more impressive aspects of of what you're trying to do today in the sense that you're just trying to keep people engaged, you're trying to keep people interested, and you're trying to let them know that these things are connected. Not necessarily having to use a hashtag like hashtag it's all connected, but <laughs> but you're appealing to a more creative audience and probably one that wants something more. Like back in 78, what did you want? You wanted to go to the theater for a couple of hours and have some escapism, get away from things for a while. And you saw this dude lifting a helicopter with one hand. That was pretty cool to see. Yeah. But then you look at like the Marvel movies today and you want to get caught up on what's happening with Spider-Man. You want to get caught up on what's happening with Captain America. You want to see what's going to happen next to Iron Man. Like everything that you have invested in over the last several years is finally having a payoff with something like Infinity War and Endgame. And so I think superhero movies just require a bit more of an investment emotionally and financially than they did in the past. Superhero films of the 70s and 80s were more about escapism and less about cohesive storytelling. And I think that's one of the big areas that it's kind of inverted now. Well, yeah, and also I think it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was enough of a feat just to make these films happen back in the day. They, I don't think they even could worry about like, oh, we'll connect these. Like, we need to make this movie and make it successful. And then we'll worry about like crossing Batman with Superman, like because you know they weren't a guaranteed success, and a lot of times you know they were failures. There's a lot of old you know go back and listen, watch the the original Avengers, and you have you know the old Captain America, the original Captain America with you know Iron Man, and all this kind of stuff. It's ridiculous because you know superhero films weren't taken seriously. And there's a lot of bad ones around, and you know we're in a scenario now where there's so many because the public will just go see them because there's so much, uh, you know, goodwill towards superhero films now that people will, you know, think that's where we're getting things like Morbius. <laughs> it's, you know, halfway oh, connected to stuff, but like, that's what we're at now. That's where we're at now is the fact that we progress so much that, you know, it's not a worry anymore. Like there's so many of them. They're, they're, they're Oscar winning films now. You know, so, you know, that's a big thing. Yeah, that's another thing is you've got movies like Joker that are now Oscar nominated. And that's that's just not something that happened in years past. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the writing and storytelling and, and creation of stuff is is something that has become acknowledged not just in the comics universe or the superhero fans universe, but the world as a whole is starting to take note of this particular genre and what it's capable of. And so to, to see how far it's come from 1978 to now is very impressive. Most 
impressive. And speaking of, you know, how impressive this film is, how impressed were we with this film? So, I, you know, I think maybe uh, it's time to start, you know, getting our final thoughts here in regards to Superman. We talked a lot about it, you know, different aspects. Um, you know, I'm not sure where I fall, but I'm curious where you fall on this. Well, uh, I, I'm 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 not going to bash this movie because, like I said, there's a there's a lot of stuff about it that's pretty groundbreaking. There's a lot of stuff about it that I found interesting and even entertaining. Uh, there are some things that I saw that served as inspirations for other superhero films that served as, you know, the the inspirations for other themes like Deep Space Nine. Like I did appreciate all those things um but i i will also go on the record saying that uh there i i can i can easily name 75 other movies that i enjoyed more than superman (laughs) oh really i I know that i'm gonna get some flack from people like kenny who really really enjoyed this film and, and think a lot of it but there's a lot of movies that I really did enjoy a lot more than that. And speaking of Kenny, I want to give a shout out to him and some other longtime listeners like George and Michael and Stephen, and then our patrons as well, like Joey, Jake, Rachel, Dan, Parker, and Carrie. Without those people, we would not be the show that we are. And Absolutely. if you're interested in financially supporting the IPC podcast, then please go check us out at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There is a Become a Patron button that gives you all the details involved, including access to our entire audio library, all 270 episodes now, along with admission to a special secret Facebook group, uh, helping us with our top five episodes, getting top billing on our top five episodes if you're not able to join us on the program, and so much more. So please consider becoming a patron of the IPC podcast today. Every little bit helps keep the light on. Absolutely. Okay. I I told you before the show that I was looking at doing this and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be a man of my word. I'm going to follow through on it, but um, (laughs) I, I kind of, I kind of want you to time me to see how long it takes me to do this. All right. All right. I'm interested. Cause I, I want to see just how long it takes me to list off 75 movies that I enjoyed more than Superman. For for premise, I'm giving this a 7 out of 10. Okay? okay. It, it's 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 enjoyable. It's not my favorite. There are definitely things that I like worse than it, but there are definitely a lot of things that I enjoy way more than it. And I'm going to try and dive into these uh, in just a second here, and I want to see just exactly how long it takes me to get to seventy-five. I think I have. You, you, 70... you got a stopwatch, or you owe me to? Uh, I, 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 I can do it, but I, I got I, it. I got if, it. If you, if you've got it, then uh, you tell me to go. I'll take a deep breath, and we'll see just how long it takes me to list the seventy-five movies I enjoyed more than uh, Superman. All right. Well. Get set on your mark. Uh-huh. Get ready and go. All right. 
uh, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, The Force Awakens, The Rise of Skywalker, Fellowship of the Ring, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, The Hobbit The Adventure Begins, The Hobbit Desolation of Smaug, The Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies, Jurassic Park, The Lost World Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Captain America the First Avenger, Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness, Star Trek Beyond, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek Search for Spock, Star Trek First Contact, The Avengers 2012, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, V for Vendetta, Arrival, Alien, Toy Story, Up, Coco, Finding Nemo, Cars, Monsters, Inc., The Fly, Planet of the Apes, Back to the Future, The Book of Eli, Deadpool, Deadpool 2, Ex Machina, Jaws, Kingsman, A Quiet Place, Stand By Me, Barnyard, Ice Age, Incredibles, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Prince of Egypt, Madagascar, Muppet Treasure Island, and finally, The Lion King, 1994. One minute, 17 seconds, and 46 seconds. So one minute, 17.46, is that what we're getting at? Uh-huh. I'll give you, I'll give you the uh, 46 seconds. The, the, like, point, the, 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 the point, point four six. Cause... Because, because for one, I hit start, and then you like took a breath, and then you went. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> you, you, you took a little bit less time. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's what I do when I'm at work. <laughs> I come up with all these lists of stuff that I'm going to list off and be really goofy about. Don't the... tell Zach's work, please. Don't tell his boss. Oh, man. Well, okay. I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> yes, don't. I think it's don't... safe to say everyone that has ever had a job has done stupid crap while they're on the clock, while they're being paid. Yeah, probably. Probably. It didn't Just affect what you my, do. It didn't affect my work though. I was still done by three thirty. So you know Can't argue with that. Whatever. Can't argue with the results, right? <laughs> and I I think I might agree with your list. That's definitely seventy five movies that I would probably watch. That would that you know, if it came down to movies you never say no to, as we like to say on here. Mm-hmm. Um that's um those are all movies that I would probably say yes to before I'd say yes to Superman the movie. But uh then that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. And uh just going into my final thoughts really quick, um I I really did enjoy this one. It as I said, it it's wonky at times, it's very of its age, it's very of its time, and it certainly hasn't aged well in certain places. And I, I don't I, I don't want to go on like a rant and say and talk about how horrible some of the visual effects are because this movie is literally 40 years old. And I feel like at a yeah. certain point, the statute of limitations on what you can complain about about a movie, especially when it comes to special effects, is kind of, you know, it's out there. So, you know, I'm not going to rant about that. You know, I think I think honestly it gives it character when you when it comes down to it in regards to. You know, the, you know, Superman running, <laughs> running in Kansas, trying to race the train. It's ridiculous. It's dumb, but I kind of love it. And like I said, the performances really elevate this. You know, we didn't really talk about Gene Hackman that much. Maybe we'll talk about him in just a second. But Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor is amazing. Perfect casting. Um, Christopher Reeve was absolutely born to play Superman. 
is and always will be the best version of this character. And as we talked about with the amazing performances that he does and, and differentiating two characters and just exuding the confidence that you expect. And, you know, it's a shame that, I don't know, I feel like we need Christopher Reeve back in this dreary time in our, ter- our history. Christopher Reeve as Superman is such a welcomed um, beacon of hope. And um, so it, it, overall, this film is is it, it it goes without saying how revolutionary it was for superheroes for movies for pop culture it it can't be overstated how well and how much it impacted everything and the score you know everything about it is absolutely amazing and i'm gonna give it man i'm gonna give it a 7.5 out of 10 okay i think that's fair that's pretty that's pretty close to what I had. And if you want to share your planet score with us, then hit us up on social media or join us here in the chat on uh, channel1138.com. There's a couple of live listeners with us tonight, but if you're not listening live, find us on social media and um, let us know what you thought of the 1978 movie Superman. Find us at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and uh, share with us your planet score. Uh, going back to Gene Hackman for a second, uh, yeah. I, I I do think we we were saving talking about him for this particular segment anyway because this segment is about him. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it puts it, him it, front and center. It, it's kind of appropriate. It saves him for for this particular thing. He's got the most stereotypical, but also most awesome supervillains lair I've ever seen. Like. <laughs> Like, it's underground, and you have to get away from the subway train tracks in order to even enter this guy's hideout. And then once you get in, it's got a big-ass pool in it. It's got a library. It's got a keeping area. It's got a bedroom. Like, this guy has the entire place just decked out the way he wants, and it's completely away from the rest of the world. Like... If if you are a rich introvert, this is your dream, basically. Yeah, he he's the ultimate introvert. He's he, just evil. He really is. He's the ultimate introvert, but he's just got a mean streak to him. So mean that he's thinking of blowing up the San Andreas Fault so that all of the property he owns becomes that much more valuable. Like the whole thought of hijacking the missiles and and doing stuff to California wasn't to kill people. It was to turn a profit. Like he that just wants, he just wants waterfront property in Arizona. I mean, can you blame the guy? I mean, it, it's, 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 it's interesting to look at his motives and see how they compare to like the motives of today. Just putting that out there. But after Superman goes on his saving tangent, which is another thing that I forgot to mention, I guess I'll make mention of it now. But after the helicopter save, he also stops a burglar. He stops a car chase. He stops a boat theft. He saves a kitty stuck in a tree, and he saves Air Force One all in one night. Does he ever sleep? I don't know, man. I don't know. But after he goes on that spree, the reporters are talking all about him, and Lex is trying to figure out who he is. And so once he starts putting the pieces of the puzzle together – he starts coming up with a a way to try and neutralize this competition for attention because he's kind of an attention whore, let's be honest. 
he 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 wants things to be focused on him eventually and he sees superman not only as a threat to thwart his plans but also a threat to the public spotlight that he's about to be in lex and luther is all about lex luther he really is and that's a, a really great precedent for the lexes to follow uh by the way gene hackman did you know that he was the coach in the movie hoosiers i've never seen that movie so no okay hoosiers is like a classic basketball story oh, it's it's I like see him the, playing a coach it's it's one of the most iconic basketball stories ever made and one of the most iconic sports stories ever. And he yeah, I looked up his IMDb profile and he plays the coach in Hoosiers and I was like, son of a gun, that's where I know him from. <laughs> it's always funny when you make those connections. But anyway, this particular scene is about him devising a plan to get rid of Superman and uh, it's it's really interesting how he's putting the pieces of the puzzle together and how his uh, his assistants or henchmen or whatever you want to call them start helping him fill in those gaps as well. Uh, it's it's a really great villainous monologue, if you will. And so without further ado, I present to you all tonight's quote of the night. Now then, given the exact location of the galaxy that he mentions... And the proximity to our own solar system. That's amazing. Amazing! Too good to be true. It's too good to be true. He's six foot four, has black hair, blue eyes, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and tells the truth. Mr. Smucker, some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking it's a simple adventure story. Others can read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. Lex, what has chewing gum got to do with the secrets of the universe? Mm -hmm. Right, right, Miss Tesman. Right, right. N, N, N. M! You want M, Mr. Luthor? Come on, right up. So, there you go, M. M as in moron, Otis? No, 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 it's N. Oh! N as in Neanderthal, nincompoop, nitwit. And L is in ladder. Ladder, Mr. Luthor. Come on, right up. I didn't. I didn't see because I. I. I I'm sorry, Mr. Luthor. I. Ooh. In the interview, he says that the planet Krypton exploded in 1948. The ridiculous little freak took three years in a rocket ship to get to Earth. Ergo. Uh, ergo. Ergo. Uh, 1948. Three years. He's six foot four. You know that. I said that. But did you say he don't drink and he don't smoke? I said that. It was in the paper right there. I said it. Do you know why the number 200 is so vitally descriptive to both you and me? What? It's your weight and my IQ. Now think, people. Think! Deductive reasoning. That's the name of the game. The fragments from the planet Krypton exploded and went into outer space. It is reasonable to assume that some of those particles of debris Drifted to Earth. Meteorites! Yavel. And voila! Voila. Voila. A meteorite found in Addis Ababa. Ah, uh, I know I'm going to get wrapped in the mouth for this, but so what? So what? You, you mean, to us, they are just meteorites. Fair enough. 
the level of specific radioactivity is so high to anyone from the planet Krypton, this substance is lethal. Wait a minute, Miss Luthor. You mean fire and bullets can't hurt this guy, but this stuff here will kill him. Oh! Doesn't it give you kind of a, a, a shudder of electricity through you to be in the same room with me? <laughs> Not like the shudder you're going to get when you try to lay that rock on him. He can see you coming for miles with those super peepers of his. Oh, Lord. You gave them eyes, but they cannot see. Nor can Superman through lead. He can't see through lead. And kryptonite will destroy him. Any questions, class? All right, well, that was Lex Luthor, or Lex Luthor, as they like to call him in this the movie. The pronunciations in this movie are just all over the place. The, the pronunciations were just crazy, but who was it? Ned Beatty playing the part of Otis in this movie? <laughs> yeah. Countering Mr. Luthor? Like, that. oh my gosh. It's yeah. like why he, like Lex Luthor just hates this guy. Like he they eat like I, one of my favorite scenes, and it also brings me something that I want to bring up, um, is the whole missile scene. Like they're trying to take over the missile, mm-hmm. and like he just screws it up, and yeah. <laughs> he just they have to do it again. And I'm like, why did you hire this guy? Like Lex Luthor, the most brilliant criminal you know, in, in the world is, is hiring this henchman guy that is absolutely clueless, but heck, heckin' entertaining. And, okay, really quick, I want to bring up something. Mm-hmm. The cameos. Do you notice any specific cameos in this one? Cameos, huh? Um, are, are there some that I'm, that I'm supposed to recognize? Well, they're kind of, they're kind of subtle, so I wouldn't be surprised if you missed them. I wouldn't be surprised okay. if a lot of people missed them. Okay. But... As soon as this person came on the screen, I'm like, oh, my goodness. So when they're doing the missile thing and one of, like, the generals that is in the convoy walks up, he starts talking. I'm like, I know that voice. And turns out it's freaking Larry Hagman from I, Jeremy Genie. Wait. Yeah. What? Go back and watch the scene. He's there. I have he's, to go the, back and watch this movie again? <laughs> yes, the whole movie. I just listed off 75 reasons why I wouldn't. Let me, uh, I will try to send you the scene if I can find it. Might have to send it to you after. You'll just have to trust me on this one for right now. How? But, uh, but he's in there. He's like the, the lead, like, when Lex is, like, trying to stall him or whatever, when they're trying to recode the, the missile, uh-huh. he shows up and, and Larry Hagman is like the leading general. Uh-oh. And then later on they're in the uh the, like the mission control place and they're watching the mis- missiles go off and one of the people that is at one of the consoles is none other than freaking John Ratzenberger. Oh, you're kidding. I'm not even joking. Or at least it was someone that looked a lot like him and sounded a lot like him. No, I'm I'm looking I'm looking at the IMDb cast list now, and I'm I'm seeing John Ratzenberger's name. I had to scroll down past Larry <laughs> Hagman. Oh wow! But yeah, I knew it was him. I I couldn't confirm, but I knew it. That's crazy, man. So two major American sitcom actors <laughs> just show up in this movie, and there may be more that I just missed myself. Oh, that's but, right. Uh... He's he's in Cheers. I almost forgot about that. 
Yeah, he's in Shears. And I, he's, I know yeah. I know him from all of his Pixar roles. <laughs> that, and th- th- you're not wrong there. Most people do. Most people know him as the Pixar guy. <laughs> and, you know, I, I I pointed out Larry Hagman as the guy from I, Dream of Genie, but a lot of people probably also know him as uh, uh, JR from Dallas. So uh, he's been around. Oh, yeah, see, that that would have totally resonated with me because being from Dallas, it's a prerequisite that you have to watch Dallas before you can go to high school. <laughs> yeah, I should have known that. Should have known that. Yeah, you have to know what everybody's talking <laughs> about. You have to know the references. Like, you would not believe how, like, disappointed and disillusioned people are when they come and they tour Dallas and it looks nothing like the TV show. <laughs> Like at you know, least, it's at least when you're when you're doing stuff in New York, you're kind of filming on location, and so you go to New York, and it 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 resembles it a little bit. I'm pretty sure a lot of Dallas was like recorded in studios, and then the the house is like in some place that's not even in the Dallas city limits. So people come to Dallas expecting to see certain things, and then they don't see it, and they're like, "What the heck?" Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, you can't you can't trust those TV shows. Can't nope. trust them because uh, I will say the one thing that is accurate in Dallas is uh, uh, where Kennedy was shot. Like that is surreal going down there. I did that years ago, and uh, it's it's really crazy to see that because it's exactly the same as it was back in the sixties. Interesting. I guess being from here, it just it doesn't resonate with me quite as much. Well, that's the thing with, like, I, I'm the same way. Like, you never, like, go to the touristy things or, like, they don't even, like, register for you the stuff in your area. Like, it's always, like, other stuff yeah, in you, other cities. Like, you go out of town and you want to see historic downtown, but you won't go and see historic downtown Dallas. Yeah, there are touristy things in my city, and I, I've been in literally every state and every country on this continent – and there's things in my backyard that I haven't seen. It's just the way it works. Well, then there's our weekly challenge. <laughs> oh, we're turning into that now. Okay. We're going to we're going to do that. We're going to do some some self-betterment challenges. Uh my my challenge to us and my challenge to anybody listening is to find one state historical marker that is nearby to where you live. Because I, I can guarantee you that there is one probably within three miles of where you live. Yeah. Just find a state historical marker and take a glance at it to see what part of history your town is part of. So yeah, there's there there's probably one over by the lake near where I live. Talks about the creation of the, of said lake because it's man-made. Um, maybe there's one near the courthouse or the sub. Uh, the sub courthouse or the station or something like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take a look for it. I bet there's a way to find them online to find out like where they are located or something. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find a local historical marker sometime between now and the next episode and just see what part of history my part of town has been a part of. Discover what's in your backyard. Pretty much, pretty much. I will say though, like. Ten miles away from me is a town that Chris Sequel loves to make fun of, and I can totally see why. 
because it's probably one of the most racist town names you've ever heard. <laughs> like the rate most racist. Like probably the most racist town name you've ever heard in your life. It's called White Settlement, Texas. I would like to think that only black people live there. <laughs> like it's progressed enough when they, they kicked all the white people out. Oh, uh, think again, dude. Think again. <laughs> No, look, I am a fellow Southerner. I know how it works, all right? I know how this goes. Uh-huh. Uh. Speaking of how it goes, we probably should start working our way towards going. We've got one last segment that we need to go to, though, and it's an interesting one because we've been going at this for the last couple of weeks. Do we finally get the rousing conclusion of this epic saga? We're about Maybe. to find out. Maybe. Ladies and gentlemen, get out your hashtags and start putting them in the chat. If you're listening live, put them on social media if you are not. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and everything else that might carry a hashtag. It's time, one more time, for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Barbecue sauce, barbecue sauce, barbecue, 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 barbecue related and i i can't remember what i think i want to say it was this new show on fox called 911 lone star oh it it just premiered it's a spin off from their really popular show 911 which is basically like the old school tv show emergency i don't know if you remember that show oh uh, yeah 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 it, it's basically like a modern twist on that, and now they've done a spinoff of that, and they've put it in the city of Austin. And it stars um, Mark Lowe, uh, not Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe and Liv Tyler are the are the two stars of, of that new spinoff show. And they do a lot of Texan tropes, according to early reviews that I've seen from my fellow Texans. And at one point, they're talking about barbecues. So now we've got Jeff Goldblum's barbecue piece, and now we've got barbecue being mentioned in 911 Lone Star. It might be time to think about revising our barbecue intro music to including stuff like that, too. Maybe. Maybe. <sighs> As if we didn't have enough on our plate, right? <laughs> oh, well. well. Well, we shall see. Speaking of plates... What plate are you going to describe for us tonight, Mr. Hart? I am going to talk about my plate. What was on my plate and went are in we my finally stomach. there. I don't uh, know. I mean, we could hold off another week just for uh, the fun. No, no, please, no. The, <laughs> it, it's 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 far too intense now. We're we're far too into it. I've been hanging on the edge of my seat for a week. I've got to find out how this finishes now. All right, so not to hold you into suspense any further, and just to recap really quick, um, so my dad had this, you know, nice uh, half slab of ribs that were really good. My mom had these nachos that I don't even know what kind of nachos they were. They were kind of these amalgamation of stuff. And then what I had, 
let me, let me back up and say that I am a connoisseur of chicken parmesan. I have had chicken parmesan everywhere. I love it, and I am a I am also a harsh critic of your chicken parmesan. If you sell it, I'll come in and tell you if you how you did. Um, and there are certain places I really really love. There's other places that are not so much, and you know maybe one day I'll get into that. Um, but right now, what? What inspired us to actually go, inspired me to like go, okay, I need to eat at this place, was the fact that I looked at the menu, and what was on the menu was this thing called chicken parmaroni. Which. Parmaroni? That sounds such like a Guy Fieri thing. Yeah, I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're deep into Flavor Town, y'all, so just, no, just buckle kidding. up. No. <laughs> so what this thing is, and I'm gonna send you a picture of it if I can, and I'll try to send it on social media. Um, so this thing is your kind of standard, but not so standard chicken parmesan. With on top of it, of course, your cheese. This is a big piece of chicken parmesan, and it's also got little crumbles of pepperoni on top of it. That's oh. where the parmaroni comes Parmeroni in. Parmaroni comes in. Okay. Interesting. I just sent you a picture of this. And you get a little green salad on the side, but it's a big piece of meat. And, of course, you got baked on chicken parmesan, um, parmesan cheese. And then you got these little bits of pepperoni on top. I'm like, oh, chicken, pepper, chicken parmesan and pepperoni sounds like a winning combination to me. Sounds mm. really appetizing. Mm-hmm. The visuals look nice. Like the stuff that you sent me, you've got like a little bit of sauce on the underside of it in the front of the plate. And I guess that's like an arugula and spinach kale salad off to the side with like some, some wilted tomatoes and maybe some radish in there. And right. and then the, the cheese is just like crusted over the entire piece of meat. Like I can't even see the meat. It's just cheese. Right. So like the, exactly. the visual, the presentation looks nice, but I'm curious – what uh, what your thoughts were on on the the taste and the what was actually on the plate? It was pretty good. I wouldn't say it was great. It's a bit wonky in in flavor wise, um, but what? yeah, it's, that's a really poor way to put it. <laughs> um, it just I don't know. It, it kind of like there wasn't a whole lot of it, the the pepperoni itself was like as you can see cut into strips. And it wasn't like there wasn't a strong like pepperoni flavor. It was kind of like cooked on, and the pepperoni was kind of uh, really crisp. And uh, yeah, it not... looked almost like a garnish more than anything. Yeah, and that, I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking like, okay, like pieces, like a piece. I'm thinking like chicken parmesan with pepperoni on top, like a a slice of pepperoni. I love pepperoni. Like you know, you you gotta love pepperoni. But it wasn't that at all. I was a bit disappointed that you know, with the kind of the lack of pepperoni and then the, on top of that it didn't it was kind of like this i don't know the way it was cooked i wasn't a huge fan of the chicken parmesan was pretty good probably wasn't the best cut of meat kind of uh i think it was a little bit of i kind of, i didn't get to eat it all just put it that way but uh still an impressive feat of food and an impressive you know obviously very impressive in presentation um, so I give I'll give it credit for that I'll give it bonus points for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I was gonna go back 
I would probably get the ribs. I really like the ribs. Yeah, I was and... kind of surprised that this was your meal of choice. Like, I, I guess I never heard you talk about chicken parmesan before, and so it wasn't even on my radar. Like, you've you've talked about pulled pork sandwiches a heck of a lot more than you've talked about chicken parmesan. And so right. I really wasn't expecting that to be your food choice, to be honest. Like, I was thinking, okay, this is a barbecue watch. He probably got something barbecue, and he's just saving it for last. But this, is, this feels almost out of left field for you just a bit yeah it's out of my left field i was trying i i felt like mine was the most epic out of all of them not not the most barbecue of course but the mm. most epic in in the sense that it was the thing that i was looking forward to the most well yeah going and, in and and this segment is about you and the food that you eat so it makes sense that you oh it's, it's about me this, i didn't know that you're well i mean i wasn't there so it is about you it kind of has to be <laughs> <laughs> no, the entire segment has all been about me. <laughs> yeah, the the B in BBQ stands for Benjamin. Didn't you know that? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So uh, I hope that wasn't anticlimactic, but, uh, you know, I figured it was uh, good enough to save for last. And uh, it was good. I'm not saying it was fantastic, but it was good. And overall, I was impressed with Guy Fieri's uh, restaurant and how he pulled all that off. Was the price okay? Like, based on what you got and how it tasted, did that line up with what you paid for it? I suppose so. It, you know, it's a little expensive, admittedly, but, you know, it's Vegas. It's kind of a tourist trap. You kind of expect, and kind of everything was kind of expensive. It's like going to Disney or something like that. Like, you kind of expect that. Yeah, um, true. So, you know, overall, yeah, it could have been cheaper and maybe it was a bit much, but still they were giving out. It just could have been better. (laughs) Right. But, you know, it it still, it could have been a heck of a lot worse. And I think the portions kind of made up for it. Yeah, that does look like a pretty big piece of meat. The portion control does look like it's pretty favorable in in favor of the the customer. So I didn't leave hungry. Let's put it that way. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That's fair. All right. Well, that's that's pretty much all that we've got to talk about here on the show tonight. Make sure to go find us on social media, as I mentioned earlier. IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then follow us individually on our various social media pages as well. Uh, our friend Jake is still on hiatus, but you can find him at Jake W. Damon on Instagram and Jake Damon just about everywhere else. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. I actually got a new follower today. I Ben can't really say this because he probably gets like several new followers a day, but... I've actually uh, I've actually been going down in followers recently, just, just for the record. <laughs> well, I'm all the way up to 434, so I'm catching up to you, nice. Ben. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, you've, you've got your chance because now I'm failing because I haven't <laughs> tweeted anything recently. So, uh, shout out to Matthew Mendez12. Thanks for the follow. Hope you enjoy my random crap that I talk about. Uh, but find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zach underscore DFW. If you want to follow Ben or if you unfollowed him, then go follow him back <laughs> at Ben Hart with no. Please come back, please. I didn't mean it. Ben Hart with no E on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those good things. If you want to listen to previous episodes of our program, we are on. 
Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and StarWarsUnderworld.com has several of our most recent episodes, along with some of the latest Star Wars news, rumors, updates, and info from the galaxy far, far away. But if you really want to find everything that we have, it's on our database at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Pod as in podcast, bean like green bean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Go uh, become a patron and you can have access to our entire audio library dating back to 2014. Nice. Well, dude, this was a fun episode, but I think it's time that we put it to bed and I put myself to bed. But I'm looking forward very much to next week's episode. As am I. And this was, as as you said, a heck of a lot of fun, you know, uh... Getting getting some super talk in, you know. I, I love we we all love Superman, but uh, going back to where it all began is uh, really a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to revisiting some more of the films as we kind of do a little mini arc and here at the start of the year. We we always try to work in something, you know, throughout the year, kind of an ongoing thing. And I think this one will be that for a little while. And then we'll, we'll we'll come up with something else. We'll uh, we'll find some else to uh, to entertain you guys. But for right now, I think this was a really fun way to start off the year. Well, we just got a lot more fun to come as well. Who knows? We may do like some TV reviews down the line when some new seasons and series of content comes out. We touched base on a, a couple of things like The Witcher and Crisis on Infinite Earth, and then Picard tonight. So. Who knows what lies on the horizon, but the sun has set on episode 270 of the IPC podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in tonight. For Benjamin Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. We hope that you'll tune in with us next week, but until then, we just want to leave you with this final thought. One vision can have many interpretations. And our vision sees you joining us next week on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
All right, it's time for a live post credit scene. Oh, we're no doing, credits. We're doing we're doing this live. Oh, okay. Do it live. Oh. Screw it, we're doing it live. Dagnabbit. All right. I didn't want Are anybody to hear, I didn't want anybody to hear this embarrassment until it was published on the feed, but fine. <laughs> you have control over the Mixler application, so I have uh, I have I have no control over this. Um, I posted earlier today part of another thing that I do when I'm working um, I listen to Spotify like a lot and sometimes I try and sing the music that I listen to in different voices I have uh, I, I have said numerous times that I can do Marvin Martian's voice but for some reason when stressed out by 21 pilots came on the other day I did it in like this really weird drawl of a voice and I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I'm doing this in the voice of Goofy. <laughs> and it kind of scared me a little bit, but then I realized, you know what, this could be fun. So as I'm driving home today, um, Africa by Toto comes on and I'm like, interesting. And so I tried to sing along with it in my goofy voice and I made it through the entire song. Oh my gosh. I don't think I'm going to sing the entire song for you guys tonight, but I tweeted earlier this afternoon, just found out quite by accident that I can sing the entirety of Africa by Toto in the voice of goofy. Our friend Steven Schinder got wind of it, replied to me on Twitter and said, do it on IPC. (laughs) So I take that as a dare and I take that personally. So even though I'm tired and I'm beat and I just listed 75 other things I'd rather be doing, 76 if you count sleeping, <clears throat> Stephen <laughs> and uh, all you live listeners and everybody that's listening to the post credit scene, this is for you. I gotta, I gotta get into character just a little bit here, yep. <laughs> What? What are you laughing at? I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> Neither was I. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just laughing looking at the lyrics. Oh, gotta get back into character. I hear the drums echoing tonight. She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation. She's coming in 12.30 flight. Moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide me towards salvation. I stopped an old man long the way, hoping to find some old forgotten words or ancient melodies. He turned to me as if to say, Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. It's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. I bless the rains down in Africa. Going to take some time to do the things we never had. Oh.
Bravo. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs>